We've been looking at the prophet Isaiah during Advent, and this morning we look at Isaiah 35. We read the first 10 verses. Isaiah 35, beginning at the first verse. Listen then for the voice of God. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom, and it will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. So therefore, strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. And then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped and then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs, and the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there, and it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. The word of the Lord. Years ago, the neighbor kid saw his mother return from an afternoon at the mall. And after some time passed and his mother was distracted, the temptation was too much. He slipped out to the garage, popped open the trunk, pillaged the bags, peeked under the wrappings, and saw the hidden Christmas presents. You'd think he would have had the sense to stop there. But his next mistake was telephoning his sister to tell her what he saw. (laughs) And while offering his report, he didn't realize that his mother had picked up the other phone. She heard his full confession. That year, for that neighbor kid, Advent was filled with anxiety. His mother threatened to cancel Christmas and withhold his gifts. Everything hung in the balance. Dear friends, underneath all the hopes and expectations of the season, there is also the reality that we're anxious. There's often a shadow over the season, and joy is elusive and muted. We're not unlike Charlie Brown. 
who opens his Christmas show with this line. I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I always end up feeling depressed. Look, it's relatively easy to catalog what disrupts, distorts, and depresses the season. We've peeked under the wrappings, and we know what's there. We're grieving the loss of a loved one. We traffic in the fear that our country is coming apart at the seams. We know wars and rumors of wars. We're acquainted with cancer, Alzheimer's, and addictions. And we can't quite address our existential unsettledness. Or is that just me? And to quote the Apostle Paul, the good that I want to do, I don't do. The bad that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. You get the idea. Philosophers and poets have characterized modern life as anxious dread. Under the wrapping paper, we're all anxious. To which Isaiah belts out, Strengthen the weak hands. Firm up the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful of heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And then he trots out this vision wherein desolation is transformed into a garden And the wilderness is changed into a place of welcome. It's lyrical and lovely. And we're told that joy will run us down, sending sorrow and sighing, scurrying away. What a beautiful picture. So when it feels like everything is hanging in the balance, what can we hear in this prophetic text? What can we learn from this ancient story? What might it say for the living of these anxious days? Most scholars think that Isaiah was written over three different historical periods. This is where we should have screens and I should like be pointing and click, click and... No? Most scholars think that Isaiah was written over three different historical periods. We read of first, second, and third Isaiah. Our text was probably written in the second period, about 500 years before Christ, to a people in exile. Cast out from their homeland, the people of Israel were in a physical and metaphorical wilderness. Therefore, this section of 2nd Isaiah 
is a vision of their return to the safety, shelter, and shalom of home. They will walk a highway home wearing crowns of joy. However, prophetic visions have been and should be read in a variety of ways. And one reading does not rule out another reading. Therefore, our text can be understood as the return of God's people from exile or the establishment of an eternal messianic kingdom in Jesus Christ or a symbolic picture of what happens when salvation comes to the human heart. But whether you read this text as history, prophecy, or metaphor, however you read it, the hinge is that God will come. And when God comes, then the blind will see, and the lame will leap, and the desert will blossom, and the tongue of the dumb will be loosed to sing, and the ears of the deaf will be opened to music, and hearts of fear will be transformed into hearts of joy. Thanks be to God. So what if, what if we come at it this way? The previous chapter, 34, helps if you have your Bible open. The previous chapter, 34, stands in stark contrast to the picture of our passage. There, the nations are destroyed. Dead bodies send up a stench. The land is a sulfuric burning pitch. The stars have fallen from the sky. The heavens are rolled up like a scroll, and all is wasteland, and no one is remembered, and no one is passing through. But in our text, there is a total transformation, a complete reversal. And the order of things is turned on its head. Where there once was a desert and desolation, there's now an oasis and a highway of hope because God comes. The grapes of wrath... The Grapes of Wrath tells the story of the Jode clan living and dying in exodus from Oklahoma to California during the Great Depression. They leave a dust-covered wilderness in the hopes of a new life out west. Their land and their lives are brittle, parched, and desperate. So with both resignation and resolve, the Jodes join the pilgrimage down Route 66. Listen to this line from the Grapes of Wrath. 66 is the path of a people in flight, refugees from dust and shrinking land from the thunder of tractors and shrinking ownership, from the desert's slow northward invasion, 
from the twisting winds that howl up out of Texas, from the floods that bring no richness to the land and steal what little richness is there. Dear friends, may the word from Isaiah serve as a reminder that just like the Jodes and the Israelites, we are a pilgrim people. We're refugees on a journey. And sometimes anxiety thunders and and fear howls up, sucking the spirit out of us. And the richness of living is stolen away. And California is nothing but a shimmering mirage. And joy is ever elusive. But the prophet, you're still with me here? The prophet calls us to to journey with courage and faith. Because finally the gospel, finally the gospel, the story of all scripture is that God comes. God comes. That's the sum of it. Whether God comes in a burning bush or a smoking mountain, whether God comes in a still small voice or a roaring pillar of fire, whether God comes to make covenant with us or to camp with us, whether God comes as Jesus or the poured out Holy Spirit, over and over again, the biblical vision of reality is that God has not abandoned his creation to the dustbin, but that God comes. Therefore, don't fear. God has not abandoned you or me. God has not abandoned his people. God comes. And that coming is a matter of joy. All of that was to lead up to this. That coming is a matter of joy. Not happiness. For happiness is dependent upon circumstances. Happiness requires good health, good work, good relationships, good externals. But the only condition for joy is the presence of God. As Frederick Buechner puts it, God created us in joy and created us for joy. And in the long run, not all the darkness there is in the world and in ourselves can separate us finally from that joy. Whatever else it means to say that we are created in God's image, I think it means that even when we cannot believe, even when we feel mostly spiritually bankrupt and deserted, God's mark is deep within us. We have God's joy in our blood. I like that. We're created for joy. And Isaiah announces that in the long run, joy will overtake us and despair and anxiety will be sent packing. There's a 
There's a folk jam band called Trampled by Turtles. Anybody? That's the spirit of our text. It's not just that we'll journey with joy. We'll get trampled by joy. Again, thanks be to God. But look, truth be told, joy doesn't come easy to me. I'm way more content with happiness. And I know way too much of the anxiety and brokenness that lurks under the surface to be crowned with joy. For me and maybe for you, joy always feels tempered, restrained, transient. Amen. And yet, I keep yearning, hoping, believing that the vision of the prophet and the message of all scripture is true. In Jesus of Nazareth, God has come into this wilderness and the promise is that Jesus will come again. The heart of scripture is not some wistful hope for some far off heaven. It's not a list of qualifying behaviors and requisite beliefs. Rather, the heart of Scripture is the unfolding drama of God coming and the reign of shalom being embodied in this world, in our lives. This is the place where we'll be trampled by joy and gladness. Scott Jose puts it this way. And he quotes C.S. Lewis, but this is Scott Jose. Joy, C.S. Lewis famously wrote, will be the serious business of heaven. Indeed, joy will landscape the entirety of the new creation. It will be tangible and palpable such that sighing and sorrows will, as the prophet says, have no choice but to flee away. Sadness will get chased out of the new creation the way mice will flee a room full of cats. Sorrow will dissipate the way a strong wind can blow every cloud out of the sky so as to leave behind nothing but a blue sky so achingly beautiful as to make tears leap to your eyes. So dear friends, and fellow refugees. May the vision of the prophet strengthen and sustain us even in the anxiety and absurdity of this journey. May it inform and shape our living. Rather than view it as little more than magical thinking for a happy ending, May we live in a manner that reflects the coming of God. May we feel joy nipping at our heels. For God in Christ has come and is coming. There's nothing to fear. Amen.